Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. Hello, hello. Hello, hello yourself, uh, David, uh, the Pac-Man Pac-Man. Happy to be talking to you. It's great to be on with you again. Uh, truly an honor. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How was your Thanksgiving? It was great. We, um, I, through a contrivance, got to see my family earlier in the month, so I didn't see them this time. We just um, had a, a... contrivance? Is that legal? <laughs> uh, it shouldn't be. I got baited into <laughs> heading down to LA for a Jubilee appearance, but it turns out it got <laughs> okay. canceled after I booked the flight, so my parents are there anyway, you know, so. Oh, I see. Do you say where you're based regularly? Oh, I'm, I'm in Seattle, normally. Oh, okay. Oh, so literally down the coast. Yeah, or up the coast. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and what are you on planes? Are you like doing full N95 or just like one of the cloth masks? Um, just, uh, just a, you know, a, a rotating series of disposable masks. I never found a cloth one that looks good with a beard. I don't know if I ever could find one that looks good with a beard. I fucking hate these Oh, masks. I see, I see, I see, I see. Yeah. Are you like, when you're on a plane, do you no. feel like you're more at risk of catching it or on a plane you feel safe? Um... Honestly, I don't feel that at risk on a plane because it's, you know, airports and airplanes are one of the few institutions that actually seem to take seriously the whole wiping down every surface, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel more at risk at like a grocery mart than I do on a plane, but that's just, I don't know. It's just not oh, good. that's interesting. See, I, I have a bit of a different perspective. I mean, I don't feel too at risk on the plane, but not because they're wiping down surfaces because it seems like that actually is not really how people are catching this. It's more just like you're near someone who has it and you're breathing the same air. Yeah. But because of the very high efficacy air filtration and mandatory masks. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I forgot about the air filtration. They'd have to keep that standard up there. I do still hate yeah. flying, though. Honestly, COVID is the least of my worries. I just hate heights. So <laughs> it's just, um, I'm not a big fan, um, you know, as for the concept. Do you medicate on the flight? Uh, no, no, I, I try not to. I know people who have to take Ambien or whatever, but I usually just stock up on, um, on, on audio, you know, audio books I haven't listened to or podcasts or whatever the hell else and uh, just try to live through it. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, no, I know people who take uh, sedatives when they fly, stuff like that. Or they just drink. If, in first class, right, they usually just give you wine. You can get enough of that. I mean, that might help. Sure. Oh, are you flying in first class? Only flown in first class once. Was somebody else was paying for it, and I didn't like them, so I just <laughs> went with first class and uh, booked it to them. That was that was a lot of. Oh, fun. that's a good move. That's a beautiful move. Yeah, it's um, it's the the only time I would you know afford myself that indulgence. If 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 economy is good enough for Bernie, it's good enough for me. Right. Well, I'm seeing pictures of him up front too, but I guess that's a story for a different day. Oh, mm, he varies a little <laughs> bit, getting complacent in his old age. Um, are you, um, so now on Thanksgiving, are you, uh, do you eat turkey? Is that a big thing for you? I hate, I know. Turkey's like the worst meat. No, I, um, no, we, well, okay, this time we just had mac and cheese. It was disgustingly rich mac and cheese. I got some tarts and some pies, you know. Um, but normally, no. I'm, I'm more of a stuffing, bread roll, pecan pie, uh, you know, food coma type of guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm -hmm. What about you? Oh, uh, yeah, I had some turkey. I had some turkey. Uh, I mean, it's like, you know, it's always kind of dry and like you're really counting on it's really about the quality of the 
um, gravy, quite frankly, that because, the, the, you know, turkey breast, it's like it is what it is, you know? Uh, yeah, there's only so much you can do to shush it up, I think. Did you did you what who would you celebrate with? Like. Uh... Oh, fa with family, with family. OK, gotcha. Yeah, yeah just um, yeah. I, it was just me yeah. and my roommates. Um, But, you know, it, the, oh, okay. the family, uh, you know, very flexible term. Whoever you're with uh, can be your family on Thanksgiving. It's the magic of the holiday. Are your roommates um, uh, sort of like, I'm guessing you're the most famous of the people you live with. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I guess so. Do they take, are they resentful of your fame? Uh, I Maybe they would be if I made them pay rent. But honest to God, I feel like they're getting the, uh, I feel like they're getting the good end of the deal on this one. Oh, you pay for their rent. That, that, don't, that only seems fair, right? You know, like proportionally. I don't know. It, I don't know what the what the circumstances are. I would I would never. I'd feel like such an asshole, you know. Like uh, you know, oh oh yeah, you know, you've got you've got this arrangement, that and the other, and we're all going to split it three ways. And then I you know watch them like pull out the the coins they've got buried in the back of their wallet to try to make rent. No no. Oh, do you own? Do you own the place? Is that no, a situation? No, no we're all oh, we're all renting. Yeah, you're all renting. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. You're not like rent seeking or something like that. I know. Uh, as far as my audience knows, you know, we're all renting. I would never become a landlord. Wouldn't. Yeah. Can't, can't let, as far can't as my rent. audience knows. Okay. I gotcha. Very, very good. We'll check the property records later and determine exactly the arrangement there. Oh, yeah. Um, Just try to catch me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, good. Well, so, oh, on the flying thing, I did want to ask, is mm -hmm. it, do you not like the discomfort of it or is it you're worried the plane will crash? Um... I think it's shifted more with time because when I was younger, I was just terrified of crashing. Um, mm -hmm. And I still don't like that, you know, but now I think the physical discomfort is the worst bit by far. Um, okay. The, the seats are so tiny and I'm a decently big guy, you know. Um, oh, is that right? How tall a guy are you? I'm 6'2 I'm and I've got wide hips. So they, they bridge up against the, um, the, the little armrests like on the sides, but you can't lift them if you're next to a stranger, of course. So, Oh, I had no idea yeah. you were 6'2", because in the in the infamous picture of you sitting next to Stephen, Kenneth, Destiny, Banel II, you guys are sitting down, and it's hard to tell relative size. Yeah, and, you know, out of respect, I try to, like, you know, lean down a little bit, like, you know, stoop yeah, my shoulders. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah, slouching yeah, yeah, yeah. down just to not impress people, too. Yeah, I know what you're saying. That's good. That's yeah, polite. Yeah, yeah, just common etiquette, I think. Um, I think so. The, la the last five... <laughs> Before we talk about anything serious, the last flight that I had was was uh, utterly miserable. I had I had a headache the the duration of the return flight, but um, there the woman directly in front of me, this older lady who didn't speak English, only Spanish, and she actually had like a medical emergency. She couldn't breathe that well, so you know they brought out the oxygen tank. They did the whole "is there a doctor on board" thing, and I actually mm -hmm. with a headache got to like have forty minutes of people swarming next to me, like elbowing me in the side of the head as they shuffle around. <laughs> woman directly in front she was fine she was fine you know now when they ask for a doctor on a plane i wonder if people stand up and say i'm a doctor but i mean i'm a doctor in sociology or in that context is it known that they only want a medical doctor you know i'm, I'm actually really proud of my uh flight guests because it seems like every one of them got the the connotation, you know, I'd not one they of them knew stood they up. wanted a medical doctor and not one of them stood up and was like, yeah, you know, I've got a I've got a, a doctorate in, in mathematics. And uh, <laughs> right. yeah, uh, this shit's whack. Uh, so I'm proud of them. Maybe maybe the next flight, though.
it's funny because there everybody knows exactly what they're looking for. My dad has had situations where he actually is a doctor, but a psychiatrist and he'll wait because he knows when they're asking for a doctor, they'd rather it not be a psychiatrist. So he'll usually wait. But then if it's like nobody steps forward, then he'll be like, I'm a doctor. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's better than nothing. Right? Like, exactly. Yeah. That's it's better than nothing. You still a few, definitely a few steps up above the average person. Uh, you sure. Got I mean, it, it is a medical nurses. doctor, but you know, yeah, but you know, you could probably like, I don't know, look at people's eyeballs and get something from that. Their state of being, how they're feeling. I don't know. It's 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 something more than I know. Well, his thing was very simple. It was someone was having a food allergic reaction of some kind and they had so you don't really see shrimp that often on planes, but they had shrimp and then it was like, "Oh, I think I might be allergic to shrimp." What and my dad just had to, to find say, out. "Jesus. Do, do you guys have Benadryl in your like medical kit and they were like yeah and he was like I'd probably give him a Benadryl I don't know and then the guy was fine oh okay well good good thing it didn't require one of those uh, EpiPens you know that'd be right exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah what a time to so pressure. listen what are we talking about today oh um my my as my resident favorite uh liberal I wanted to talk with you a little bit about Rittenhouse oh okay all right um yeah, so I mean, we you covered the trial, obviously. All the trial that I saw was through your stream. So I know you beautiful. I know you were in there leaving very powerful super chats. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> and you were you were there uh very powerfully leaving the stream for hours at a time, collecting <laughs> revenue. Uh while I Well, don't know, I did have work off. to do. I had to plan my next show, you know. Ah, oh, you know, well, not all live streamers have that privilege, you know. I actually have to I rush back from the bathroom after peeing uh to to keep from okay. losing viewers but no, no. Fair, uh, fair. um okay so as for the legal outcome you know i i get it uh i i understand where you know where that all came from uh morally still don't think that she should have been there i don't think that's a controversial she thing. she who he oh sorry 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 oh. uh, i i've read so many memes about rittenhouse transitioning to own the libs uh it's it's oh, whoa, whoa, infecting whoa. me um but, you know, I, I've seen how that all went. Have you had the pleasure of seeing the Tucker Carlson interview? Yes, I have. What did you think of that? Well, I mean, listen. Um, oh, God. God. So, so I, I feel like I have to issue 10 disclaimers. Like, the opinion I'm going to give has nothing to do with the verdict. I get the verdict. It's the verdict I expected, et cetera. So, so like, I'm just going to talk about the interview as an interview. Um, I thought it was part of the predictable lionization and making a hero out of the guy. I, I mean, that that's if you want my one line analysis, it's that. I did think it was interesting when he says, I support Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, a lot has been made of that was a calculated lie. He doesn't really support them. Or he very narrowly said, I support their right to demonstrate. And that it was like, I don't know. You know, okay. He said he supports Black Lives Matter. It might well be true. It, it wasn't like the most interesting part of it for me. But for me, it was like, you know, the beginning of the very predictable hero tour where then he met with Trump and they did the pictures with the thumbs right, up right. and the whole thing. It's just part of the whole media tour. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I've been seeing a lot of mixed reactions online because I know there were a ton of conservatives who wanted Rittenhouse to be this like ride or die angel of MAGA conservatism, you know, where he'd go up mm -hmm. there and he'd screech like, let's go, Brandon and Tucker Carlson, do the OK sign. And then like, you know, uh, talk about trans bathroom, you know, some, some insanely hard <laughs> yeah. shit. When, when I was watching the interview, you know, he came off 
most to me like a really like partisan Republican like talking points you'd hear from a from from like a you know a pundit when talking about self defense and the trial specifically. But on other, oh, I stuff, agree. The moment specific, sorry to interrupt, the moment where I knew this was like so calculated and coached, and it's okay to be coached, I'm not saying it's bad, being prepared for an interview, okay, uh, was where he started to say, it's the moment where he says, the trial wasn't about Kyle Rittenhouse, it was about self-defense. And then he says, if I was guilty, no one would be able, and then he goes, no, 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 He, he, he goes, no one would be privileged and it's like, ever that's defend the language the his lawyer used. Yeah. That's the language his lawyer used, you know? That's, I feel like that was absolutely, you know, where the, the Soviet spy um, conditioning kicked in or whatever, you know, where, where, where he was um, most trying to deliver a point. Because I felt like, in contrast, the rest of the interview, he came off relatively measured, you know? I'm not here singing his praises or anything. I'm not saying he, <clears throat> you know, came off like a hero of the revolution, but... Oh, God, hold on. <laughs> There we go. Sheesh. Coffee. Oh my God. What was um, what was that? That sounded like a gerbil. God, no, I, it's coffee. I I have cinnamon on top. You know, it adds texture oh, okay, okay, to okay. my throat. Okay, got it. Um, but but um, not to sing his praises or anything like that. But um, for the rest of it, it it felt to me like he was sort of passively rejecting a lot of the stuff that I would expect him to cash in on. You know, he said that mm -hmm. the left and the right had both exploited him for political gain. Um, over the course of the trial, you know, he, he seems to be uninterested in these showboaty, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Boebert, you know, Gassar attempts at getting him as some kind of staffer. And that's interesting to me, you know, because I, I, I feel like a lot of people on the right were let down, you know, they wanted him to be the, the emblem of, of everything they've been screeching about for the past 18 months. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And I thought, um, again, whether it was calculated or not, uh, I actually think that he, uh, I don't know. I mean, there, there, you know, you, I don't know how much you looked at the online sphere in reaction. And there were a lot of people furious about his BLM comment and a lot of people who didn't think he was, quote, tough enough when given the opportunity to send a message to Joe Biden or whatever the case may be. But there was a lot of that stuff where it seems like the, the perspective is um, just kind of say something to appease anyone who wants to be appeased because the people who want to be mad will be mad either way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, Cause I, my, my, the advice that I've given at this point is that at least to my audience, you know, you can't take any of this seriously anymore. Um, if you take it seriously, you know, like if you take it with, with great gravitas, you know, Oh, Rittenhouse, this, that, or the other, you know, you come off like a sore loser. Now, Rittenhouse himself acknowledged that if he was black, he might not have been given the same prosecutorial privileges that he was given being a white guy, which I thought mm -hmm. was interesting. But uh, I, I feel like now that we're like on the other side of the verdict, it's irresponsible because I've seen this somewhere in online spaces, you know, to go, oh, well, he only got off because of white supremacy or because of oh, this, right. that or the other, because you can't really substantiate that stuff directly, even though it's sociologically omnipresent. And it makes you come off like, you know, like a sore loser, like, uh, you know, oh, well, you only won because you cheated, you know. Um, how do you feel about that? I actually, I mean, I have not, uh, I don't know that I mentioned white supremacy during the trial other than the controversy over the picture, which was not admitted as evidence. Um, but have people been saying after the fact that the verdict is a result of white supremacy? I didn't even hear that. 
I just, uh, I, not, I don't think through official sources, more just like, um, people getting angry on Twitter, a couple of viral tweets, stuff like that. I think, oh. because when, if a conservative sees that, right, I mean, it must be pretty reaffirming, you know, like, Rittenhouse wins, and then the left engages in behavior that to them reinforces the idea that the left will call anything racist if they don't like the outcome. Um, same, same with the stuff with the, you know, the interview with Tucker Carlson, you know, I think it's quite funny, this ideological dissonance, I think, between the party and Rittenhouse's behavior post-verdict. Um, but if you look into it too hard, I feel like you're opening yourself up for a lot of disappointment. I'm just, I'm just kind of hoping that something, you know, really funny happens in the future. Like, he gets into a beef with some conservative, like, prominent conservative who says that he's not living up to their expectation. I think that'd be very funny. Yeah, or I mean, there's always the chance that, like, like, well, you you remember the George Zimmerman Trayvon Martin case? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When when that was done, it was pretty obvious that this was not the end of Zimmerman's legal troubles, and indeed it wasn't. With Rittenhouse, I actually do think now he seems to be better advised. He actually may stay out of trouble indefinitely. Whereas with Zimmerman, it seemed like the guy was so out of control that it was bound to get, you know, and he had a domestic violence issue and some other issue. I actually don't know that that's likely to happen with Rittenhouse. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I would be very surprised if he ever does anything like that again, you know, not not because I think he's undergone this gigantic ideological shift. He just doesn't seem to me like the kind of person who's predisposed towards violence i guess i could say like like it's it seems at least from his behavior maybe that's how he's shaped up since then that whatever decision making led him to go and do his vigilante bit over at kenosha was was more or less circumstantial that he's not going to be like gunning for the next opportunity i could i could be wrong but i i think that's true i don't think he's going to get any easy shots in like that no, I think if in a few months or in a couple of years, there's another similar event in some other, you know, Antioch, Illinois, or whatever, wherever, some equivalent place that's driving distance from where he is, I, I would be surprised if he chooses to show up to guard a business with an AR-15, quite frankly. Yeah, Rittenhouse, uh, the Rittenhouse inning too. I don't, I don't think I'm ready for that one. I think I need a right. bit of a break. I, it's... I'm I'm interested in seeing how things go. I mean, best case scenario is that he stays out of stuff and just lives a regular life from, from now on, which, you know, I think would be ideal. But obviously the talking points from the trial will remain, you know. I know you don't do debates as often, I guess, as I do, but it, it, when you see conservatives say, you know, like the liberal media lied about this, that, or the other, what do you, what do you say to that? Like, what talking points do you have? How, how do you plan to address that? what will probably be years of accusations of, of, of bias. Right now, I have no, I mean, I, I've not talked to anyone who has really asked me to address that. I mean, my audience knows I, I basically don't watch corporate media other than specific things that I plan to talk about on my show. And I also don't even really remember the coverage from the beginning of it. So, I mean, if it becomes an omnipresent thing, to use your term, I will have to think about that. Uh, but I just don't even, I, I don't know. I mean, it's its just not a conversation I've even had up to this time. Okay, that's fair. I, I know- To, to that, go back okay. to the white supremacy thing though, to go back a little bit, because I didn't want to get away from that too, too, uh, immediately. The issue I have with that is you can always say that on some level, that's the explanation. And it's essentially an indefeasible argument. Um, and I'm reminded of there's this recent um, 
there's this like a local story that a couple people I know were involved in related to an art show. And the idea was like, hey, you know, we're going to have an art show, but in order to prevent possible bias on the basis of the identity of the artists, everything will be blind judged. So nobody will know the identity of the artists. Great. Um, and then there was, without getting into the exact details, there was like a reaction about the rankings for the pieces of art where people started saying, you know, even though it was blind, you had an, a jury in the art show that was all white and that's reflected in their choices. And then later it came out, actually, most of the art jury were minorities. So it wasn't actually that. And then the next argument became, well, but they were privileged minorities and one of them went to Harvard. And so their perspective is still emblematic. So it's like, well, you, you're never going to be satisfied that it was anything other than that. And, and it seems sort of like a similar thing to what you're talking about. Right, right. Completely non-falsifiable. I think there are yeah. times where you can make that argument fairly. Like, for example, the Ahmad Arbery case, the police not charging until public pressure mounted. I am yes. very comfortable saying that, the, you know, I can't say, you know, any one of the cops are like clan members or nothing, you know, nothing particularly direct, but that absolutely feels like something which warrants a criticism uh, along those lines. But you, you could apply it anything, anywhere, anytime, and you see people applying it in instances where it's entirely unwarranted. Uh, the, if it's non-falsifiable, you have to have a really good way of using it, or a really good reason to use it, otherwise you could just sort of throw it out there blindly like like for instance i mean you know we've kind of seen the opposite a little bit i think conservatives are really interested in getting kind of like a, a comeuppance to the ahmad arbery verdict that um wisconsin is, is it being called a terror attack when, when they drove into that um, um well i think the right is definitely calling it that although right. i i mean it, it may be the right term for it yeah, it might be. I, I I don't know what developments have been made on potential motive. I know the driver was a black guy, and I've been seeing people, at least, you know, people in my comment section of response, they're like, well, what are you going to talk about this black guy that killed these white people? So I think that they're they're looking to invoke kind of the opposite. I, I Remember after George Floyd was murdered, there was that five-year-old white kid who was killed by that random black guy? It wasn't racially motivated, it was just Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, where is the justice for this five year old white kid? What you care about Floyd, but not about this. And it was just like the, the guy was caught. He's going to jail forever. Nobody was defending him. You know, they'll look for it. Right. That was the difference. That was the difference at the time, which is it was just there, there's no chance that anybody's getting away with anything here. Yeah. So there's nothing really to protest. I mean, it's 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 horrible, of course. It's just, you know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel like so much of the discourse these days concerning criminal justice and race relations is really just waiting for the next highly publicized murder and and seeing how the discourse evolves around it it feels like the discourse never evolves unless it's being catalyzed by some horrible random act of violence now along those lines um the things that i have been more you know it's like uh, th there's i don't know how much you're aware but like for example the community around Stephen Kenneth Destiny Bennell II has taken issue with my perspective on the Rittenhouse trial and uh, some others anecdotally have. And I've continued to say, for me, it looks like the facts point to totally plausible self-defense as an argument, and I expect not guilty. For me, the bigger concern here is 
that this is all part of the unique American gun culture where guns are seeing as a seen as a sort of to- totally normal and sensible way to to solve problems and that uh this event in principle was not really problematic with all the people carrying the you know is it like the parenting can you imagine what would have happened if when i was 16 or 17 any of my parents had gotten hold that I was thinking of even going to such an event, never mind going armed, never mind, you know, I'm going to go protect a business. Like, oh, Christ. there's so many I... other layers to this, you know? Yeah. I, um, no, 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 I, I completely agree. The issue, and I think Legal Eagle put out a great video that talks about this, is that self defense is not even close to being a good metric for responsible social behavior. Where sometimes you have situations where a group of people can act somewhat irresponsibly and you have an escalated searing of self-defense killings until the last man standing is the one that gets the not guilty verdict. Uh, the, the, you can't, the, the idea that something is self-defense or like justified self-defense is not in any way like a holistic moral exoneration of their behavior. Especially with, I mean, you get cases like this sometimes. There was one that I saw um, where a, I think it was a gas station attendant was being robbed uh, mm-hmm. at, at gunpoint, and the gas station attendant actually disarmed the the robber and and pointed the gun back at the robber, and then a passing police officer who saw through the window one man pointing a gun at the other shot the the gas station uh, guy. You know, if you're in a movie theater, one person starts shooting, the second person shoots in self defense. Now there are two people shooting. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it gets really tough to judge these situations. And that's why I, I hate the whole vigilante mob violence response, you know, just marauding through the nighttime streets as rioters and looters sort of gallivant around. Like this is you're, you're maximizing the likelihood of violence here. It's not about protection. It doesn't protect anything. Agreed. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you remember that. I mean, when you mentioned the movie theater, I'm guessing you're alluding to the Aurora Batman movie theater incident, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, in, in that, but I mean, broadly, too, like, just imagine being in that situation that you hear, like, gunshots coming from either side of the room. Like, how do you... Right, right. Well, I guess my point was going to be, at the time, I don't know if you remember, there were people saying, the problem is that the movie theaters are gun-free zones, and there weren't armed people there. Uh, and then you say, well, hold on a second. You're saying if there had been additional shooters in the dark theater, it would have been better? And then they usually will retreat to, well, no, if it's known that it's not a gun-free zone the shooter wouldn't have attempted this there in the first place, which seems to completely ignore that a lot of these public shooting incidents are not people thinking clearly in that way anyway, you know? They're, they're going there to die. They, a lot of these people expect to be suicided by cops. They're not going to be deterred yeah. by the knowledge that one in a hundred people might have brought their Glock to a, to a Batman screening. I, right. I, I really agree, though, about the, 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 sort of the sociological implications, because... If, if you want to take like a really depersonalized stance, I think that Rittenhouse ultimately is a victim of a lot of um, social uh, tendencies. Yes. Yeah, here, here in the States, gun culture being a huge part, you know, the obsession with and this is like a long standing conservative thing, you know, uh, racial protests are leading to violence in the streets. Our civilization is being destabilized. We need strong people out there with guns. This narrative has been around since before the civil rights movement, but it always ends in violence. It's possible to believe that too, with not a drop of racism in your body. You know, you can believe that totally race neutrally, but it's a way of getting sometimes non-racist people in line with sort of the, the systemic, uh, you know, white supremacist tendency, you know, you know what I mean? 
Absolutely. And I wonder, I mean, the, the, the problem is that when you say what's the full conclusion to this, it's everybody would be safest if just everybody had a gun. And unfortunately, like under the paradigm we have in which people can obtain firearms and all of the specifics, that only leads to a lot of people who currently don't have guns and have violent impulses having the same impulses plus the guns in more situations. And so they see the logical conclusion as once everybody's armed, no one would ever shoot anybody because you know everybody's armed and you'll end up getting shot. But it's like they already know they're likely to end up getting shot and it doesn't deter them now. Yeah, they, they, they clearly don't. I, I, was, um, <clears throat> I was actually present at a shooting once, you know? Uh, oh really? At, at Santa Monica College back in twenty, I don't know something thirteen. There was a there was a shooting there at the library just outside of it. While I was further in, and the guy, uh, you know, came there I think to be suicided by cop. That's that's always how the sense, right? They very rarely get captured alive. The the whole an armed society is a polite society thing is absolute bullshit. It's mathematically mm. disprovable. I, I'm a, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge uh you know proponent of gun rights i have six guns uh just just off to my right right now um but there's a huge difference between gun ownership and gun culture and the gun culture thing the idea that guns are like this you know valuable weapon of you know social righteousness they're an extension of your masculinity they'll solve any problem you will be attacked every day of your life if you're not armed that bullshit that paranoid fear-mongering that's i think the critical issue you know the swiss have plenty of guns in their households but they're all yeah. you know ex-military training you know kept clean stored up in the attic type deals not well it's just it's quite simple do. if you ask the swiss do you see guns as maybe being the way to solve a social political or interpersonal problem the answer would be Almost 100 percent no. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you poll people in the U.S. and there was recently a poll done here, more general, it didn't say guns, but it said violence. But I'm sure if you repeated the poll with guns, a lot more people in the U.S. believe that at least on some of those interpersonal, political or social guns are a valid way to solve that problem. So you take that perspective among some people and you combine it with a ton of guns. It's not shocking what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, or, or people who think that having a gun in your house will make you safer. It won't, mathematically. You're not going to stop a burglar or a robber or whatever. That's not going to happen. Or people who think open carry makes, like, communities safer. Or people think concealed carry is, like, like you'll be mugged, like, every other week. You know, it's 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 nonsense. But people believe this down in their in their gut. I mean, down to their core. I, I'll just say, by the way, because otherwise my, my commie friends, you know, they'll get mad at me. The big thing that I, that I advocate for with regards to guns is I know that we've got a ton of guns in this country and I know a ton of them are held by people with whom I share tremendous political disagreements. And if, if things get bad in this country, you know, really destabilized 20, 50 years, I don't know, whatever in the future, I would think it nice if relatively progressive city communities were armed and not just the right wing militias that would start patrolling oh. the streets the moment they got the chance, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, so I've my audience knows, like I've said before, I don't really talk about my gun ownership or lack thereof, or I just don't see any real advantage to making it a personal thing. But I've said that over the last few years, many of my progressive friends have started uh, legally arming themselves. And the reason they cite is 
I don't want the right wingers having all the guns or being the only ones with guns. That's the number one reason they cite. Many of them don't particularly like shooting guns. They're not target practice people. They don't believe that in terms of armed robberies or whatever, they're going to be statistically safer because they, but they say, if we play this out and the right is the only political side that's armed, that seems bad. And that's the number one reason they are pursuing firearm ownership. Totally agree. I think that's a really honorable reason. You know, if you, if you don't want it in the house because you feel like you got like a mental health risk or anything like that, like you could keep it with a friend. It's just that I think the broader deterrent is valuable is will, will, will some lunatic with an AR 15 refrain from shooting up a Denny's because six of the people in there might be concealed carrying? Probably not. But right. if an entire city is generally known to be full of gun owners, you know, somewhere in their house will that maybe deter potential destabilizing militia action maybe it could i don't know possibly it we have to have something right i don't know yeah i guess it's I, I don't know but i agree with you that at the individual crime level at least right now it doesn't seem to be a factor that's taken into consideration when people decide about committing particular uh per particular crimes now that being said um i do think it's relevant i guess to mention that I don't think that there's much advantage to Democrats at essentially any level of talking about guns and gun safety because it seems to only hurt them in, in any election that I've seen. I'm curious what you think about that. Not, I'm not a Democrat. I don't know to what extent you even care about Democrats winning particular elections. But it seems to me that Democrats talking about uh, guns makes it a voting issue for the right to come out and say, we've got to protect our gun rights by voting against this person. Yes, I really wish they would shut up. Please, God, Beto O'Rourke is the last thing we need. There are so right. many independents, libertarians, and even moderate Republicans who are generally decent people who are terrified of the government taking their guns. There is no reason to keep biting this bullet. You don't even have to go big pro-gun. Just shut up about it. I don't think Democrats- Just don't talk about it. Yeah, Democrats yeah. aren't going to not vote for Biden if Biden doesn't really talk about the guns, you know? Just just lay off, you know, some simple, oh, I'm, I support our Second Amendment rights. Then shut up about it. Uh, it's it's insane to me. It's It's borderline like they want to lose. There are so many people that are- practically second amendment hardliners i just don't know why anyone would 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 waste political capital on this and it never even comes to anything what, what gun regulations have we had meaningfully in this country the last big one right. was the bump stock ban but like really there are hundreds of millions of guns we're never going to ban all of those what points they're even trying i agree i agree and um, I, I even mentioned this in the context of Beto running and the clip from the Democratic debate in 20, 2020, right? He, he just ran. I mean, it feels like so long ago. I guess it was 2020 That's where he was asked, wait, so are you saying you, you would like take people's AR-15s and AK-47s? And he like pauses and says yes. And it's like, that's not going to help him in running for governor in Texas at all. Oh, in Texas, of all places. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a branding thing. I just, I don't, I'm just, I'm not that afraid of guns, you know? Because the attitudes that make people dangerous when they hold guns are dangerous when they're not holding them either way, you know? The 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 paranoid fear But they're able to do more damage if they are holding guns. Oh, oh, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. The guns do yeah. not help. But with hundreds of millions of guns in the country, I'm not like holding my breath for a total removal. Um, you know, maybe right. if we were Japan and we had like no guns in the country, this would be a different talking point. But I, like, you know, if you have your average like QAnon nut, 
they're probably going to hurt me not through some sp sporadic shooting in a theater. They're probably going to hurt me by voting for politicians that are going to, I don't know, criminalize being gay or whatever. That's Do the Q people even vote? I mean, that's a different question, but... They have to. With with Marjorie Taylor Greene types in, in the Republican Party, mm -hmm. I feel like they've got to be at least somewhat invigorated. Yeah, that's probably probably true. I guess we'll see in 2022. I mean, the thing is, a lot of them are in safe red districts anyway. So even without like the Q contingent, they'll still win. That's true. Yeah, though, 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 you know, they'll in, in, in the primaries, you know, they'll vote in the crazier reds. I think um, <laughs> it's, it's really a shame how the hardliner Republicans are evangelical boomers who will like vote. They, they like put, you know, on their calendar, they'll mark off the voting day. But the hardline lefties in this country are all like, Bordega, you know, Kropotkin readers who believe in anti-electoralism and won't even get out of bed for like voting out Trump. It's pretty, it's pretty annoying. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, do you have a sense of whether like, okay, so in 2022, a bunch of them will get reelected just because they're in safe districts and there's a few additional Q people that are running in 22. But like if Trump doesn't run in 24, do you think that this like Q Trump movement just goes away or do they become integrated into the Republican Party the way the Tea Party did? I think I think it becomes fully integrated. I mean, even if Trump oh. did something spectacularly bad, they've made, you know, JFK Jr. like a, a legacy movement member in spite of him <laughs> never having anything to do with anything. Right. Yeah. Um, because, because like the, the attitude doesn't go away. Republicans, the politicians, I mean, I feel like they're terrified of their voters. There was recently those, um, that whistleblower from Facebook who said that at least in Europe, I mean, the, the info was from Europe, but I think this is universally applicable. There were far right political parties who moved further to the right to match the increasingly radical views of their constituencies. So I, I feel like the snowball's rolling down the hill at that point. You know, you, you can take DeSantis to take up the, the, the torch if you want. But unfortunately, I think we're going to need some kind of reconstruction tier social realignment to really fix this. Yes. Yeah, speaking of which, I mean, for people in my audience who may not know, you are an actual bona fide socialist, not, you know, someone wrongly called a socialist. How is the fight for socialism going in your mind? Why would you ask me that? You know, you know what I'm going. Why would you do that? Uh, look, the 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 primary goal of any socialist, first and foremost, should be anti-fascism. Uh, mm -hmm. Lenin allied with uh, social democrat groups to fight against the fascists, the Thousand Knives in Russia. Uh, Mao stopped fighting with the, um, you know, with with the um, the conservatives to fight off Japan uh, back in the, uh, you know, back in the 1930s. I and and they weren't even good socialists like me. I I, I just I think that the 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 goal the Black Hundreds, not the thousands. Thank you. The 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 goal first and foremost is i think right now dealing with the republican party and i think you can mm. do that in ways which are more or less advantageous for you know i guess my long-term ideological goals um but to be honest we're not really in a position to build anything right now outside of maybe a, the little spattering of a labor movement we've 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 got presently i guess we can kindle that little fire like that little you know match light to keep the wind from blowing it out. Apart from that, though, just keeping this country from spiraling into nothing would be a good, uh, you know, good, a good place to start. That's that's interesting to me because my my perception of you is you're not really like a tanky socialist in a very particular sense. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, 
I was talking to uh, my dad the other day, and I, I don't know if you know, but like I'm from Argentina. My parents grew up in Argentina in the 60s, 70s, where there was like the equivalent to the current tanky movement. They loved Fidel Castro and so on and so forth. And um, one of the things I was talking to my dad about was this contingent in the left now that sometimes sort of almost sounds right wing, like without naming anybody in particular, like they often like authoritarians like Putin and Castro and others, they, you know, whatever, you know, the full kind of like package of the thing. And what my dad said was for him, this is such an old playbook. It's the exact same thing that he was seeing among the Argentinian tanky left in the late sixties and early seventies, that it's, it's not a new thing. It's that there's always been this contingent of the so-called left. And he was close to that. Like in, in Argentina, he was part of like a, a, a Jew, what was called a Jewish socialist movement. And um, it was very different than the people who like the Russian and the, all, all the different stuff. What's your, are you part of that group or what's your perception of that group? It seems to me that you're not part of that group. Well, um, with, I, I, I feel like um, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the, the most measured way of, of putting this. I, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people are looking for a kind of social rebirth uh, that people, when they're desperate or when they don't have much going for them, they're looking for some kind of direct, meaningful movement that they think will radically change everything they don't like about the world. And those people okay. are usually um, tankies or fascists. Uh, where where I'm not. This isn't an argument against revolutionary action, but rather it's this. They they need this. Um, they have an emotional attachment to this. You know, um, epigenesis, this massive social revival. But then there are people who approach their political project, um, in in I guess what I'd consider to be a more decentralized way, where it's not really about the direct attachment to that process or its outcomes, but about the 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 principles that you you try to meet on your way there historically in every major socialist revolution you've seen these two groups fight and one of them win and it's almost always the authoritarians after Please. lenin won the worker councils which he relied on for the first 18 or so months of the soviet union were quickly disbanded their members killed or sent to siberia uh you know uh in, in mao's china you had a similar situation the students were weaponized against the um the teachers and all the old guard were killed off and then eventually the students were sent off to the farms it's there's this happens time and time again it's it's deeply unfortunate and i think the ultimate issue is that it's just way easier to be authoritarian it's so much easier it's way easier you get a military together you entrust everything to a glorious leader and you trust them to enact these principles but this just doesn't work it's the reason why sometimes i come off a little bit less i guess revolutionary than other people who believe in such a thing i think you need to lay mm. the right groundwork you have to make sure the material conditions are ripe the working class needs to be the agent of its own emancipation with revolutionaries only being a tool to be used by the working class if you do the opposite where the working class is a tool to be used by the revolutionaries you get a repeat of uh, you know a hundred years of failed socialism they're just uh you know, uh, an angry mob to be weaponized until you can appoint a new elite cast of political agents. Yeah, I mean, in our last conversation, and I'm getting the sense now, you believe in a more, uh, I guess what we would call a gradual transition to the system you believe is the ideal system. 
Yeah, I think my, rather than a revolutionary transition. My guess is we're not really going to have a choice. This is my guess. I don't know this, of course, but I think climate change is going to get bad enough uh, that we're going to deal with economic downturn, resource, um, you know, uh, um, shortages, uh, and climate refugees, and that this is going to lead to enough destabilization that America and a bunch of other countries are going to have like internal crises over what to do. And at that point, it's either going to be like some kind of you know fascist government or something more radical more left-leaning i think at that point we're not going to have a choice like things are going to be really bad there so for me mm. it's just about laying the bricks until you reach that point you're not like a cia or anything right i uh, not to my knowledge uh, as as many times i've been accused of such <laughs> um okay couple other things I, I wanted to ask you um hold on now i oh do you know, so the, wh who is Mr. Beast and what did he do in the last 48 hours that people are going crazy about? <laughs> He's a big YouTuber, um, a very big one, uh, a, a kind of philanthropic. He reinvests a lot of his money into the projects that he does. Uh, you know, like we're all stranded on an island, person to find this treasure gets a billion dollars or whatever. He's made a recreation mm -hmm. of Squid Game. Have you seen Squid Game? I'm, I'm aware of it. You should see it. It's good. He's recreating it. He built all the sets, you, you know, t to his means. Oh, really? It got, like yeah, in real life? Yeah, it got 400 or so people. I don't think they're, uh, spoilers, I don't think they're killing the people brought on board uh, the okay. way they did in the um, in the show proper, but um, I could be wrong. I actually haven't seen it. Okay, all right. I'm gonna, it's, so, it's, so it's actually something worth being aware of. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, Squid Game was lovely. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I just mean this whole Mr. Beast, like, version of it. Probably. I've seen screenshots and I've seen little video clips and I'm, I'm probably going to watch it either today or tomorrow because it, it does look pretty funny. It's actually going to be the first Mr. Beast video I've ever seen. So, okay, uh, fair. New fair. to me. Now, here's the other thing. As a socialist, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on a debate I was having with my audience earlier. And I think you're going to be uniquely positioned to weigh in on this. Do you uh, believe absolutely. that Tesla's inexperience with building vehicles is going to slowly allow legacy companies like Audi, Porsche, and Mercedes to chip away at Tesla's electric vehicle market share by virtue of simply being better at building nice cars. Unironically, yes, absolutely. I recently watched uh, a video, which linked to a few articles, talking about how Tesla's cars are not particularly well-designed or well-priced. Tesla is unique mostly in making them cool. Um, I don't think that Elon Musk is a competent businessman uh, outside of the mm. marketing element. I think that in terms of actually like a sustainable, long-term functioning product, he over-prioritizes glitz and glam and under-prioritizes like long-term sensible investment. Um, and and, wow. and, and I, I think very little of the man. But no, really, like electric cars have been around for what, nearly a century? Um, and there are cheaper and better electric cars in the market. They're just not Teslas. I think that once the hype wears off, and it will eventually, it, you know, nothing like this stays around forever. I think other companies are going to surge back and they're going to be able to sort of scavenge the clout that, that Tesla's carved out. I tend to agree. I'm going to be, I, I am both a, an owner of stock and of a vehicle. And I am going to slowly uh, start disassociating from the stock slowly, bit by bit. Um, and I'm looking very strong. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. Here's what makes it very inconvenient to have any non-Tesla electric vehicle right now. Mm -hmm. The range of Teslas is still the best. And 
the fast charging network makes it really difficult to do long trips with any other vehicle. Yeah, it's the it's the infrastructure you lay down. If you're the first one yep. to really capture or corner the market, you can edge other people out and force them you yes. know, to yeah. So hopefully um I don't know, hopefully we could um Oh man, can you imagine if there was legislation on that so that like all the Tesla <laughs> right. charging stations were retrofitted so that they're universally usable? It's not like yeah, we have I gas mean, the pro- stations. The problem that only is then a lot of them have eight to t- a lot of them only have eight to twelve stalls. Then the, it's there's not an if if they were open. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm, I think that that would allow me to much more easily look at other types of electric vehicles because I know I could use the fast charger, but those fast chargers would be permanently full if they were open to every electric vehicle. It's just the reality. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'm a big advocate for public transport. It's not really relevant to this convo because you and I are probably aren't going to be taking buses everywhere, but I, I guess that'd be kind of nice long term. I, I feel like um, the the dream would be um, would be that you could have this kind of thing at your house, wouldn't it? I mean, every house has an electric, uh, you know, current running to it. If if there was some way to like commercially be like, here, for 150 bucks, here's a a, you know, a, an install you can get. Uh, there's a cord that like plugs out through the garage. You just pull it out and there you go. You're charging. Um, well, they, do, I mean, that basically exists. It's a little more than, than, I mean, listen, you know, I don't know how much we want to get into this, but with, if you just have a regular plug without having any electrical work done, you get a cable with your car and you can charge it. The thing is, it'll only charge like four to five miles per hour, which is very slow. You can then put in like a dryer plug, a 240 volt. That'll get you like 35, 40 miles per hour. And that's what I have. But you got to pay an electrician to put that in unless you're going to run it all the way up to wherever your dryer is, you know. But but I think the 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 bigger issue is when traveling away from home. Yeah. Yeah, that tracks. I think um, I mean, the goal would be that uh, we would um, we would only use these cars in you know, short distance travel, I think, right? At least when I think of like a good sustainable electric infrastructure future, you know, you have your car for like picking up groceries in the city, but if you want to travel like far, far, you know, you've got a robust train or subway networks. And then when you get there, there are local options. I think that'd be quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in practical terms, we just don't have that. You know, if you want to go, if you're in New York city and you want to go to, as I recently did a wedding in Maine, um, Maybe you could take a train, but it might take 30 hours because you've got to go to maybe Montreal first. I don't, I don't even know how you would do it. Uh, obviously, that's lacking right now. Yeah. Well, we can always dream of the future. There are a few sure. channels I'm really, really fond of. Um, Adam something does a couple of videos making fun of um, Tesla and Elon Musk in, in, in reasonable ways. I mean, you know, critiquing the technology and uh, not just a bikes talks about sustainable infrastructure. And I, I love both of them very much. European cities are so wonderfully designed compared to our own. So livable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the reasons I like Seattle. There are portions of Seattle where everyone's always walking, not because there's no parking, but more so because there's such a robust mix of residential and commercial zoning that there's always something interesting to do in the area. Speaking of Seattle, by the way, I don't know how devastating this was to you. I'm guessing that up until recently, you were likely the biggest Seattle-based YouTuber. But with the arrival of J. Kenji Lopez-Alt in Seattle, who has, I believe, one of the best YouTube channels in the cooking space, I think that that may have knocked you down a peg. I don't know if you're aware of that. No, no, it's it's good for me. Um, if, if I can ever sort of... Um... 
you know, find my way on set during a recording or, you know, throw a rock through the window, try to like get my name on it. You know, I, I it, it opens up opportunities for um, clout sharking on my part that I'm really looking forward to. Wait, am I even wrong on that? Is, is Kenji in Portland, Oregon? Now I don't remember. I know he's up in the Pacific Northwest somewhere. What I said may have been completely wrong. Oh, now I don't even, even know sure, who but... you're referring to. I was just, I was even just guess-ending. Even I'm just working with it. The, the, yeah. only, the only cooking YouTubers that I've enjoyed are Binging with Babish and the, um, um, the, uh, that one big corporate one that everyone stopped watching because there were accusations of racism from the manager. God, what was that called? Um, oh, I don't know. That one, I don't know. Um, bon Appetit. And then, and then they all oh, split okay. off and made their own YouTube channels because everyone got... No, yeah, my anyway. favorites are um, Kenji and Jacques Pepin. Jacques Pepin? Uh, that is a yeah. Frenchman, I assume. It is indeed, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll Actually, he's Cuban. Would you believe that? Well, I, if, if it came no, from I'm you, kidding. yeah. If it came from a less <laughs> reputable source, though. You gotta, you gotta watch yourself, you know? I'll believe anything you say. No, he is French. I believe he's from Lyon or something like that. Uh, oh, and also Toon Toon for Thai cooking. You can't beat Toon Toon. Jeez, oh, you're getting me cultured over mm -hmm. here. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. really more of a chicken nuggies guy myself, so we're, we're, we're branching out of my comfort zone a little bit. <laughs> Do you not cook for your tenants either? I'm sorry, roommates. Okay, I, I I work and I pay the rent. Okay, these 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 assholes can cook from time to time. No, we Fair. we we really we really don't make that much. We get those um, what do you call them? Hello Fresh, uh, yeah. like like twelve meals a week split between the three of us. You know, um, oh nice. Those are really good, by the way. I was taken away because they you know they deliver it and then it's like in a box for a bit. I thought it'd be like so so. Some of the meals that I've had there are legitimately the uh some of the best food i've ever had i can't promote them now though because apparently they did, did some union busting recently so just oh every, wow i didn't hear about that way. yeah <laughs> are you for or against spatchcocking when you do a chicken on the grill spatchcocking um you're gonna you're yeah. gonna have to help me give me give me a brief description it's basically you butterfly the chicken to make it the same thickness throughout in order to have even cooking uh yes yes you have to cut you have to cut it down. Also, the the, the best the best cut of chicken, okay, is about a half an inch. Okay, you 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 cut it in half. You smash the chicken a half an inch deep. That's the perfect chicken cut right there. A half inch deep? Like yeah, like the thickness is about a half an inch. Uh, once oh. you flattened or or butterflied the uh, chicken breast, right? Oh, you're talking about chicken breast. Oh, are you talking about thighs? I'm talking about the entire chicken. Oh, I see. No, I've never hammered an entire chicken down into a pasty sort of one. No, no, no. You don't need a hammer. You don't need a hammer at all. Let, listen, <laughs> I'm going to leave you to the to investigating spatchcocking, and I'm sure you'll have a strong position on it by the next time we talk. Oh, I'm sure. I'll, I'll learn. I'll give it a shot. You know, I'll, I'll share my success yeah. or failure story with you. It's been a pleasure. But your idea with you. of just smashing a full chicken into a paste is an interesting one. I've never considered it, but I might. It's it's how owls do things, okay? Just sort of grind okay. it up into a into a you know a little uh, pellet. It's it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for taking the time, Ian Vosh, uh, a gentleman and a scholar. Great to speak to you as always, David Manpack Pacman. You take care. All right. Enjoy the stream, and uh, I'll talk to you eventually. All right. Very good. Take care. There. There you go. That was quite quite nice. I think. Feel like we uh, we had a pleasant conversation there. You cut him off? No, no, he cut out. He was speaking to. No, I didn't cut him off. He quit mid sentence. He was talking to his audience there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It was live too. Yeah.
Good talk. Yeah, no, I, I, I like Pac-Man. He's, um, among other things, a very funny guy, I think. Um, he's easy to talk to. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me. Who was that, Vosh? That was David Daniel Manpack Pacman. Uh, you forgot to go on a weird rant at him, though. Oh, yeah, that's right. I should have gone on a weird, unhinged rant. Uh, that would have been good, I think. Why does he pronounce Destiny's full name? Feels like weird. No, no, he just he just likes saying names. He just likes saying names. Anyway, anyway. Holy shit, him calling Argentine communist movements in the 70s tankies when they were a lot of trots is annoying. Who taught the liberals our words? Okay, I'll admit I don't know much about the 1970s Argentinian communist movements. However, having read a little bit into, into uh, Trotsky, he was a bit of a tanky himself, okay? Uh, I saw what he was justifying after the fucking... <laughs> After the fucking 1917 revolution, okay? I saw him talking about the, the limitless ability to, you know, weaponize the working class and, you know, they, they don't need worker democracy, you know? Just because he got killed by Stalin doesn't mean he was that much better. He was just sort of the other bad guy.